What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about how I want to know how you are about our neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if you got a neighbor right now, okay, who's looking pretty old and they might be selling, all right? You need to talk to them. All right? Oh. You need to talk to them and say, you know, rent it out for a few years. Don't just dump the property and sell Don't it. Dump the property right across, across the street. They're low. They're low. Oh. They're not um you're not getting, you're not getting top dollar for that property anymore. I want to go buy it just to make sure it doesn't go any lower <laughs> yeah that's the thing right how low will it go how many people are thinking that same thought like okay can i buy that thing and turn it into three units now and rent it out and cash yeah. flow and like yeah. save my property or is it just me am i the only person that's going like fuck man this sucks Let's get this party started, TK. Well, well, well. well whose head's well, bigger well. than whose now? Oh my god. I don't know if my head should shrink or swell or what the hell it should do. Well, I think it's fine just the way it is, to be honest with you. I appreciate that, TK. I know I can always it. count on you. We gotta keep things level here, okay? This is the Canadian real estate show. It's not the Canadian uh, out of reality show. Out of reality show. Yeah, Canadian. although sometimes it Listen. sounds like it might be. Yeah. Did you did you go back and watch the episode from a year ago? The Evergrande? We're we're basically like um uh you know, what do they call those? Myst mystic men. We're mystic men of the internet. Are we mystical? Yeah, find find us online today to find out what's gonna happen tomorrow. Because we said we should we wait for our guest to come on to talk about that? So today's episode is a is like a it's like a follow-up episode all right we've talked a to a lot of people recap. a we've recap a lot of people with a bonus though because now we have mark mitchell he's like the resident china expert in canada we want the updated we want the updated version on that. <laughs> he's mine a, a little bit is to talk about how we had you know somewhat predicted the outcome of the and evergrande uh, fiasco right oh. where Basically, by the end of the episode, we figured that, you know, in the in the in the near term, the Evergrande fiasco would be bullish for Toronto real estate. What were the numbers, Daryl, from the time that we aired our episode? Because obviously, people are watching the episode and basically. I don't know. You sent me buying. this email. I can't. I can't understand the email that you sent me though. Okay, so, but I think it was like the market went up like fifteen percent between October and February. Right. Like we went on right? a crazy run since we. Because everyone was fearful. And Mark, when did the government start stepping in and trying to, you know, help out Evergrande this year? When did Beijing step in? Yeah. Uh, Evergrande, they, they haven't actually helped out Evergrande at all. Um, they're helping out the market, uh, just not directly Evergrande. They kind of let Evergrande die. Um, well, when, when you say they aren't, you're talking about directly state-owned. What about all the state-owned companies that are, you know... Right. Oh, the state-owned companies. A couple of months ago, they started coming more in and buy, and and paying off some of their loans. The city that they were going to build the soccer stadium, you know, refunded their deposit, like these kind of things. Yeah. So they started that a few months ago. Um, they've really started stepped up, say, guaranteeing the bond, uh, guaranteeing the bonds. I would say I think that was July or August. They started um, guaranteeing some of the debts of some of the smaller developers, and the mm -hmm. big one was Country Garden which uh, when they stepped in for them, that was, I think that's the biggest state support they've done. Um, right at, right at around the time the market date. started to go down. Yeah. They were on to stuff. We're on to stuff. <laughs> so what's yeah. what's our agenda today, Daryl? I have no idea. There's so much stuff to talk about right now that I want to get to. And I definitely want to talk about Evergrande or Evergrande or whatever the hell you really call that thing. But I think Mexico, we should save that for a little bit. Well, maybe I'm I'm just still in Mexico time. But like, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, I don't even know where to start. I mean, we just had a, a nice interest rate hike. Maybe we want to start there. I mean, we do have Mark Mitchell and uh, a couple of other experts that are definitely affected by interest rates. Uh, anybody jump in whenever. I mean, it's not an interview. It's just a discussion. So, I mean, 50 basis points again. Is that, a, is that another bazooka bomb or is that like, uh, is it just a pistol this time? This episode is brought to you by Landlord. 
This landlord software is a game changer. You upload your properties, right? You upload all the information, income, expenses, timelines, mortgage details, everything that you need to have so that you keep track of everything in your portfolio. And as you go through real-time adjustments in you know, rent increases and uh, water bills and, and tax bills and everything else, they're going to actually give you recommendations on how to make your portfolio more efficient. And it just breaks everything down for me in a way that I've never seen before. Like Excel spreadsheets just don't cut it. I don't think there's a better program or app out there for investors and it's free. Please click the link below for your free trial offer. Yeah, my perspective is that we're probably at the point where we're deliberately trailing the Fed to see what they want to do. So you're going to see a little bit of destruction in the Canadian dollar probably. But I mean, everybody said we have to back off earlier. I don't necessarily see a pivot happening, but we're certainly slowing the rate the rate of hikes and eventually we'll just hold. But the hold is the part that like is what what hurts, right? Like it's not like we're gonna go up and then come right back down. Yeah. We're gonna stay at, at higher rates. Um yeah, I mean that's my I, I think the bigger piece uh, the bigger story here, like uh, this rate hike didn't get nearly as much attention because people are just exhausted of it kind of like an are we there yet type of mentality yeah the monetary policy report that was released was was more interesting from my perspective which you know the the major takeaway was number one they're acknowledging that interest rates are a major contribution to um to inflation through housing um, so there's a bit of a, a positive feedback loop there and then the other piece is that they're expecting to see the housing contribution of gdp which is the largest individual piece of gdp um contract for the next two years and barely increase in 2024. So then that's that's residential investment, so commissions and home renovations. So our industry is is due for a bloodbath according to the Bank of Canada, which is already happening. Anyway, that's 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 my two cents there. Yeah, so I, I think I, the go ahead, go ahead, Mark. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know so much. I I can't see a world where Powell isn't on the phone with with Tiff Macklin before. Right. Right. You would think they would have coordinated at least somewhat. Um, so I'm, I don't know if I think the Fed's going to come in at 50. Um, I, I can't see us lagging behind because our yields are going to jump right back, right back up if the Fed goes 75. If we don't. We didn't. So I would think there would have been at least some policy coordination there before the before the announcement. So um, what if the what if the coordination is that they're going to go higher than us? Well, what does that mean? FedWatch has um, has target rate probabilities for the next meeting at uh, three seventy five to four hundred bips Fed fund rate, and then December fourteenth meeting um, four twenty five to four fifty at forty eight point two percent probability, and then four fifty to four seventy five at forty three point four percent probability. So we're looking at the higher bound of these original whatever you're calling it, terminal rate projections that people were talking about. So it's 82.8% probability that we're seeing 375 to 400 bips Fed Fed funds rate next week. Where was right. the Canadian bet at before the 50 basis point? Yeah, nobody height. cares about Canada, so we don't even have those. <laughs> we don't even have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, social yeah. media, social media only. Yeah. I, th I think just a perspective on this rate hike was that things are slowing down. I mean, there's somebody out there who's now going to start moving forward with their plans because right now everyone's just been operating out of fear because they think that the market, the, the rates are going to keep going up and, oh, it's going to be another 100 basis points. I better not do anything. Oh, my gosh. So the buyers are sitting on the sidelines and I bet you 50 basis points told some buyer out there, you know what, maybe I should start my search again. Yeah, but sellers are sitting on the sidelines too, right? Like especially the sellers who are in, in variables who are gradually bleeding out more. Uh, on it. like it takes 90 days to actually be technically in arrears so i, I mean it, the same argument could be made from the other side i think aside, you're probably more i think you're probably more likely seeing pent-up supply than pent-up demand right now assignment sellers are certainly not sitting on the sidelines right now. <laughs> not from that <laughs> overpriced you know assignment sellers yesterday holy cow yeah yeah what was Jordan's that like got eight, an right? allocation in a building of like right it's like a, as much as some people get allocated in a in a new release yeah, Just I mean, like, yeah, but what I will building. say is, like, we do have, I mean, to TK's point, like, I do have a ton of uh, people looking to pick off um, really desperate assignment sellers. So I have a lot of cash circling, looking for those juicy assignment deals. 
Um, and they're, you know, they're, they're aware that they're probably going to cash flow negative and all of these things. But in some instances, you can pick up condos today for, you know, brand new units for what people paid in 2019 pre-construction or even 2018. Wow. Right. So like, it's like, it's, it's kind of a, it's getting more and more attractive by the day too, because every time I send out one of these assignment emails for every person who replies and says, I'm absolutely interested. I have two people who reply and say, Hey, can you sell my assignment? So there's just a ton of assignment inventory coming, uh, coming to the market. And what about mortgage applications, Mark? What's that? What's going on with that right now? Uh, they're still very low, right? Like a lot of pre-approvals in the pipeline. Um, still. Oh yeah. At what yeah, rates? Uh, I just did one at five point six on a, on a an pre-approval. ADO. Yeah. Somebody's hanging on to that. Oh. Yeah. Well, they don't know what happens in a month from now. You know. You know what I mean? Like two months ago, we were at four point four four, and then it bumped yeah. up to five point one within a few weeks after the uk crisis so like it's it's might as well get them in so i've got a ton of those but very few buying because they're they know rate the prices are going to be down in two months and your pre-approval lasts four months so why not get it in and then what about renewals anybody coming up for renewal those are tough like private lender if you're in a private lending like if you you currently have a private mortgage a lot of private lenders are pulling their money um, so they're saying, I don't want to redo because I, I don't know where the market's going to be. And then these people have to find alternative financing or they have to sell. Yeah. So I'm seeing quite a few of those. A lot of people didn't know what the trigger rate was and have been told and now they're selling. So I've seen more of those as well. Um, so that, yeah, there's, I, we're not seeing it in the media yet, but I think on the ground we're seeing there's, there's trouble brewing. Definitely. What's the, what's the highest increase you've seen so far from somebody who hit their trigger rate? 1500. 1500 bucks a month. Yeah. Yeah. We hear Justice Queen's been saying on Twitter she's like a thousand bucks a month now and she has to move, which is kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, are people like paying cash for these units when they're buying the assignments or are they get are they putting debt on? No, they're putting debt on usually. I mean, like they're pretty cash heavy um depending on the assignment. Like if if like the one of the recent ones we did was purchased in 2016 for 400k and then we sold it for 525. It's probably worth 575. Um, like once it's closed and it's an actual unit rather than just a piece of paper. Um, so, you know, like that individual had to come up with a, a basically a hundred grand over a hundred, like 125,000 profit plus the initial deposit of 20%. So $80,000. So it's like, it's more than your, your typical 20% deposit. Right. So that person, that individual might actually break even, but yeah, no, it's, it depends on the, it really depends on the buyer. Some people are putting debt on, some people just have cash, like, you know, what, what are sellers right now the number one reason that they're selling assignments or listing assignments? Is it because they can't close or that they're afraid of when it does come time to close that the unit won't be worth what they paid or m- yeah, less than so- it is today? Urban Toronto Pro is the most powerful business intelligence tool and database for the development industry in the greater Toronto area. Efficiently generate leads and gather real-time market insights on all GTA development projects. Urban Toronto Pro makes it easy to track projects as they move through each development phase, from proposed to complete, and see the latest updates on each one, all in real time, all within a few clicks. Our database tracks over 60 different items per project, and each item can be easily searched across single or multiple projects. Learn more about the most powerful source of intelligence on Toronto's development industry. Book a call with one of our product specialists today. From the clients that are reaching out to me that bought with me, a vast majority can afford to close. It's just like they don't want to. Like in one instance, there's is a doctor client of mine. Uh, COVID pushed back the studies of their kids two years or whatever. And so they're not ready to move out. And so he, he was never, they were never investments. He was going to pay them off cash when completion came, but his kids aren't ready to move into them. He's not really sure if he wants to rent it out for two years. So um, he, he just wants to liquidate and he doesn't care about making any profits. Right. But the more common story is I wasn't expecting rates like this. Um, and so they're looking at their, you know, they're go, they're going in. Usually it happens after they speak to their mortgage broker. They talk to their mortgage <laughs> broker, you know, they do their math, maintenance fees, property uh. tax, mortgage, and they go, oh, wow, this is not, you know, I wasn't budgeting for this. Um, and so they want to get out of it. And then the calls that I'm getting from people who didn't buy with me, um, usually, you know, the reason that happens is their broker fa- failed to sell it um, or 
they don't even remember who their broker is because their broker pretended to be the builder at the time of purchase. And so they're not, there's like no connection there. Um, and so they reach out to me and they're just like, Hey, like I see you online. Can you sell this thing for me? I can't afford to close. And in some of those instances, these are people who bought two or three. Um, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty rough conversation to yeah. talk to those people yeah. and say, Hey, look, like, did you ever intend to close? And they're like, no. And it's like, well, unfortunately I have to be the bearer of bad news here and tell you your greed is going to cost you. Yeah. Mm. I had a call for two assignments. They bought uh, four properties in 60 days, two resales, two assignments, because the realtor told them that was a good idea. Jeez. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, so now now what I'm kind of starting to see, and maybe Dan might be seeing it too, or maybe not, but I'm seeing people that, you know, were, you know, screaming about inflation are now starting to talk about, uh, like deflation, deflationary spirals. Have you seen anybody talking about that? Yeah, I, th- I think I've I've heard a lot of individuals mentioning that sort of we've reached that overshot period. There's been too much demand destruction and deflation is probably next to what we're going to see because you sort of are starting to get a lot of these supply chain issues easing at the same time as monetary policy, you know, destroying demand. And, and so... And and I think we're seeing innovation as well. And innovation is deflationary, right? Like, you know, you're seeing innovation on on the the manufacturing side and a lot of other different like hard goods, but you're also seeing it in our industry where we just saw basically the doubling of potential units you can have in a dwelling in in the province of Ontario, um, which hi- hypothetically could be, you know, a supply shock situation to to the rental market if it's done meaningfully. I don't know if, if I necessarily believe that, but we could we can have that discussion, but yeah, I mean, you're definitely hearing about it. Deflation is kind of the, and I think that, you know, by its very nature, like these central banks are kind of forced to overshoot because you really don't know the impact of these rate hikes until a couple of months after, or like half a year after they've been, they've happened and you kind of wait now. And then you rush to get it back down. Once you've realized that you've caused deflation, like you're describing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the portion of the CPI that housing represents Right. That that's, you know, a lagging indi- indicator on its own. But rental prices are higher. So I know so housing rental right? prices are higher and carrying costs are higher. So that's yeah. going up and the gas is going up. Yeah. But you've got inventory levels on useless shit that is like piling up like crazy. And I guess those prices are coming down. I mean, who needs a sofa after you just, you know, spent every penny you have trying to, you know, pay last month's bills. Right. Yeah. I, I talked yeah. to a contractor this week just to help a client out for a rental property that got trashed. And even he said he was uh, not as busy and there was a lot of flexibility too. So I think that there'll be some labor uh, deflationary pressures as well too, right? Guys will be more available and they won't be able to gouge people as much. I don't know if that's really going to be that much of an impact. What's interesting to me is like a lot of luxury buyers are still making moves. Um, Like if I look at like the last week of deals on my team, it was like a $2.2 million pre-con, a 1.8 and a 1.7. It was like very unusual. Normally we're selling stuff in the five to 900K range, right? So to see, and then that's been the case for the last three months is like, <laughs> we're not selling anything under a million dollars. Local buyers? Fewer, yeah, we're selling way fewer condos, but they're all to end users and downsizers. And they're all people who are like, uh, the builder's asking me for a mortgage pre-approval. Can I provide a comfort letter instead? Because I'm just going to pay this thing cash. That's what I was just gonna say. What's they the timeline on cash. closing? Like those ones a- that a- anywhere from like two to five years, like uh, like some lingering inventory of projects that are mid construction, like way out already past grade. Others that just launched, like just you know any kind of luxury boutique product or even you know boutique ish. Toronto's definition of boutique, which is like 150 units. So so now we have things brewing all over the place and tempers are starting to rise and people are pointing fingers at each other and everybody's like starting to like get crazy. We got the rally in BC, Han Veer or Han Veered or the Han Veer effect. Like these are all part of the lexicon in Canada at the moment. I can't tell if it, if anybody's serious about this shit or if it's a joke or what's going on. I, I feel like it was a joke and now it got really serious all of a sudden. Um, now we have one coming uh, on the 6th, I believe, in Toronto. And we're going, right? You're goddamn yeah. right we're going. I, I'm <laughs> shopping for Kimball's and like extra battery packs, man. We're going live <laughs> the whole day at the rally. 
a hundred percent. Like I got to see what's going on out there. Cause I don't have a, I honestly don't have a good read on whether this is serious or not. I mean, it kind of probably, I don't know if it should be, but I mean, it definitely could be. What do you guys think about this thing? I, I think that it was uh, started with intentions of being serious, to be honest. Like, and I mean, look, <laughs> this guy's uh, smart and he's successful in the real estate industry. Like I- I've been saying from the start, I'm like, this is a networking event. Like this guy just figured out a way to <laughs> create a, a, an a, aggregate distress sellers very quickly. Like it's a distress sell. It's a future distress sellers event. Seriously. Yeah. hundred percent. <laughs> yeah. No, listen, you better bring some cards. Yeah. It's creative. Right. So, I, I mean, yeah, I think like, I, I mean, look, like it is what it is. It's it's silly in the grand scheme of things, but it's a sign of the times that and this happened in the 70s, 80s and 90s, I believe, as well. Right. Like I think they were doing a marathon. They were do- back then. People were running. Right. Those were like the Terry Fox days. Protesters were like they really they were at physically active, I guess. But so. <laughs> You know, they they did like a I gotta I'll find it. I'll pull up a link and I'll send it to you guys. But it was like a marathon for like uh for to stop interest rate hikes in the early nineties, I think. Yeah, listen, I used to do the walk for Israel every year. Like this is what people do. They walked and they ran marathons. Now what do we do? We like hold barbecues or have dinner. <laughs> bring, bring a lawn chair, yeah. <laughs> Gorge for a thousand bucks a plate. It's crazy. Oh, oh, by the way. If anybody's watching this show, you should like this uh, show right now and you should subscribe to the channel. TK, we never say that and no one ever does it. Maybe if we said it, (laughs) maybe it would happen more often. Okay, so the reason that we are all here is to recap that year ago and to talk about Evergrande and its effects. And obviously, like it did something because something broke all of a sudden. Right. And we, we can downplay it a bit that it maybe it wasn't a Lehman moment, but like it was a domino for sure, wasn't it? There's a new Lehman moment now with uh, with Credit Suisse anyway, right? I think we've had like there's like and a the tweet, UK. And th- th- what about yeah, the whole like a, UK? Yeah, that was a Lehman moment. There's like yeah. this thing on Twitter. It's <laughs> boom, like, babe, boom, are you, boom. babe, are you okay? You haven't said Lehman moment at all this week, right? <laughs> but seriously, there's a lot of moments that are pretty monstrous in size, aren't they? I mean, the UK pension plan, like the entire like yeah. thing collapsing, isn't that big? Yeah, well, it's big in the context that they ramped up quantitative easing again. I suppose. Again, so, like, right I mean, away. the central banks are bailing this out, right? Like, China hasn't been having massive increases in interest rates like everywhere else in the world. I mean, I think that we're just starting to see the mass forming. Like, and I, there's no way. Eventually, all of these things come out in the wash. They're just trying to slow the impact so that we don't have these Lehman moments and end up in a global financial crisis. But to me, that just means I think we're fucked for like ten to, to twenty years rather than like. Isn't one or that, two right but isn't that the lehman moment that like we just now we have to come up with a whole other giant mess of fake money to push it on down the road again yeah i think so i agree with that like i think that we've just completely detached from like real like i don't know the money doesn't mean anything anymore right like, seriously, it doesn't seriously yeah. like uh, so I don't, like that's that's it like we're just entering this new world of of the global financial system where like, and and like there's so much disparity in classes, but also like um, class mobility and like asset distribution. Like that's why you're starting to see like everybody wants to get rich quick in Canadian real estate. Everybody wants to get rich quick on GameStop. Like people have to take in, insane risks to jump from the lower middle class to the upper middle class. And like, I don't know. I, like, I don't see how this ends nicely. Like we're just, I think we're just completely effed and, it's going to take 20 years for things to feel normal again. Like that's not, I don't What's mean to be too grim. I don't, I don't think it's going to be bad for like, but it's going to be bad for five, five years probably. So, but define bad, because I mean, if we all think that they're just going to pull out the same bag of tricks and just, okay. So now I don't know what's after trillion guys. Like what's the next zero when that they add, right. It's like, does does like okay like for everybody on this call like does life feel financially the same today as it did in 2019 better or worse mm. Mm. it's a, uh, better. there's a, there's better some me. interesting yeah. perspectives yeah i mean i feel like i'm out sh- more money now than ever before <laughs> yeah hey right, right? yeah well but bringing in more. more too right yeah yeah yeah, so so it it's it's kind of an interesting uh, uh, 
That's an interesting question because I, I actually personally feel like I shouldn't be spending any of the money that I'm spending right now because, mm-hmm. I mean, I personally never know when my next dollar is coming, if it's, you know, three months from now or two years or three years from now in, in my business, right? Or at least in one of my businesses. But like, I definitely feel like it's a lot harder to let go of the money right now. And I'm certainly less willing to go to a nice restaurant and pay double and get a shittier meal than I used to get. Right. And so I don't know if that's like my mentality's changed because I'm like, shit, I better hang on to this stuff a little longer or because the food is just really shit and the service is really shit right now. Right. It feels tighter. You're right. You can you can feel it when you're out like everything does feel tighter. Um, than it did even six, eight months ago. So yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I know. Yeah, so I guess my, what I like, what the reason I asked the question is because I think that what the difference that you feel right now compared to, you know, period where I would say things felt a little bit better months or years ago is probably going to perpetuate for at least a year, may, maybe two. Right. That's just my, like, that's, that's why I, I don't think it like for, for the average person feels that bad to be in a recession for a lot of people. It really sucks, but and it's gonna it's gonna be shitty comparatively, but it's not gonna be brutal. It's just gonna take a long time, I think. Well, I and saw. This... Yeah, go well, ahead, Mark. Sorry, I read an article the other day that called it the most unfair recession um, that we've ever seen, and I don't know if that I don't know if unfair is the correct word, but probably most unequal recession because there's very much two Canada's going on right now. Yeah. I think where, and this is what the article said is that you have one group that saved a lot during the pandemic kept the money still has the money and they're not really affected by interest rates and then you've got another group that barely made it through the pandemic and then now they've got inflation right after so and they're very affected by interest rates and that to a certain extent that's why we the inflation is so hard to get under control because there's such a large amount of cash sitting out there um, that was saved up during during the pandemic so it's i think it feels very very tight for a lot of people and then for a lot of people it doesn't so much um and i think that's but we only have one central bank policy so i think that's that's a real problem being faced by the bank right now or how about all the small businesses that barely hung on during lockdowns and uh scrape you know what i mean like depleted all of their savings just to stay alive and now it's like well welcome now you're in a recession yeah, uh, you don't have fun. the customers. Yeah, no, I mean, listen. But, the, there's, but there's, there's also increase in revenue streams, right? Like, there's a ton of people out there who've innovated, right? Like, the yeah. people are taking on jobs where they're working from home. I've met more people working two jobs now than I have ever before. Like, there's people who are out there working two jobs, and and one one's from home, and the other ones on evenings going into the office or whatever it is. So I think that there has been some sort of shift in people's capabilities of, uh, you know making money and basically right like daryl and i are getting rich off youtube views clearly right but that's one view right there's other little things that we, we're always working on and, and different uh you know same thing with all you guys and that's something that i think a lot of people that's really common especially with younger people right which is important so i think the older generations of fixed incomes you know the people who are you know struggling to be able to adapt to the times yeah they're the one yeah. that's the unequal um, what about the young life. people the young people that like they can't afford a home and now they can't even get a goddamn rental because the rental prices are going bananas if they could even get one or get accepted for one after doing their little dance and sending letters and saying why they're the best possible tenant now right like but they got low they got low overhead they got you know their life is cheap you know they'll be fine they'll make it through this you know well one of my friends is an underwater welder and rents in cambridge to save money and commutes downtown toronto every single day and i was like that's a problem you know when an underwater welder is like the best highest income trade job out there yeah yeah it's crazy yeah that's crazy and so but what do you even save in cambridge now like how much is the average price in cambridge for god's sake yeah especially after gas inflation yeah. So yeah. it's interesting that article that you're referencing, Mark. I I don't know if it's the one from a year ago, but like the uh, I think it was like the most unequal uh, recession. Ben Tal did some research on it last year, but now he's updated his research this year, and the only area where we're starting to see wage inflation is actually in that lower quartile of of the the jobs. So basically, talking about gas, you know, and, and inflation, people just stopped going to work because it wasn't economical to go to work. And especially like, and you can see, you can feel these vacancies in those professions, right? You see it in call centers, you see it in airlines, you see it in the service industry, restaurants, restaurants, right? right? Hotel industry, but you don't see it in, in the higher quartile. So 
now employers are forced to pay people more and you're starting to see wage inflation happening in the lower end of the market, which I found, and this has just sort of started heading into this year. The question, and this is sort of where the Bank of Canada wants to go and destroy jobs for shits, is how much of that wage inflation can we afford before it starts spiraling into the economy, your wage price spiral? So it's really like they're really, really facing a tough challenge right now. Yeah. It's it's absolutely insane. So so you actually touched on it for a sec, Dan. And then if we go back to last year's episode, Jordan said uh, something very profound, and it was like, if we want to get out of this crisis, like you, we have to make more houses, right? We need to make it easier for people to make more houses. And so you touched on it briefly saying something about doubling the housing supply, I think, or the rental supply or the potential uh, uh, supply. I think it's actually tripling based on this legislation. But let's talk about the new Ford legislation that is, I think, designed to make it much easier to get more units on the market one way or another. Uh, When you said doubling, is that what you were talking about? Dan? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if yeah. we take a single family well, home and add more units to it. Yeah. Sure. Theoretically. I mean, that's, yeah, that's politically uh, innovative, right? So, yeah, you're doubling. I, I mean, people have to build the units still, but yeah, hypothetically, you can 2x density in Ontario now. That's obviously yeah. not going to happen. But if 10% of the market puts a basement apartment in now because they don't have to go get zoning, any zoning changes or minor variances to do so, or they add a garden suite as an example, I mean, that should should ease some of the supply challenges, I think. I actually, yeah. I do feel like it's going to be meaningful, especially when you're in a recession and people are trying to make ends meet. Yeah, you don't yeah. really only have one yeah. option. Uh, you know, you know, like you can liquidate, yeah, but a lot of people are going to be at a loss now. So what else can you do? Well, you can increase the income of your property. I, I, I don't know who put it out. Was it you, Dan? Somebody was saying something about uh, somebody that they know. They they're renting their. They're moving into their own basement and renting the upper portion of it. Yeah, Vass Vass mentioned. Is it Vass? Right, right, right. I think he didn't mention it on here, or maybe maybe he he did mention on here. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He's talking about it on TikTok as well. Like, sort of, it was this: you can save your face or save your ass kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, isn't that crazy that people are are even thinking about that, right? Like even think like, you know what, can you imagine going to your, your significant other and saying, you know what, uh, honey, I think you, me and the kids should move to the basement so we can keep this thing because our payment is going from 2000 a month to 3,900 or 4,200 or some crazy number. Right. And I told you to get fixed. Yeah. I told you. Yeah. (laughs) If she says no, she's not the one. Okay. Daryl. Right. Yeah, maybe we're moving to but, the basement. All right, that's it. What Pack a your bags. Horrible let's thing. go. What a horrible that's thing it. to even have to consider. I have people DMing me on Twitter saying, like, what am I supposed to do? Like, should I saw that tweet or I saw that? Should I consider that? Because I really want to buy a house right now. And I'm like, oh, what? First of all, why are you asking me? Because, like, I don't know what to do either. Right. I'm just trying to give somebody some advice based on what I would do. But, like, I'm not the smartest guy. I know the, the, how do you how do you guys actually tell people what they should do right now? Very carefully. Yeah. Yeah. Very carefully. Be very careful with your choice of words and try to understand the underlying motivation behind what they're saying. Yeah. It's, but yeah. it's like, why do some why why does somebody want to get in so badly that they want to live in their own basement to ride out the storm? Like, what's wrong with renting? I don't understand. Yeah, we're just we fetishize homeownership in this country. Yeah, I have a lot. I have some, um, like, I have some clients who purchase. Uh, it's rare, but I have some investor clients who purchase really expensive condos, like two, three, four million, and they're not for for her to live in. They're they're for rentals. Um, she just likes. She doesn't care about negative cash flow. She just likes tenants that um, have really high income. And like one of her tenants rented a $8,000 a month unit from her and is using it as a walk-in closet because he has the penthouse in the building. Okay. So she just, she just likes like those like ultra high echelon uh, tenants that like, you know, never miss rent type of thing. Um, And uh, yeah, no, like it's, it's really, um, it's a different, like it's a different way of investing. But what I found with helping her with some of her properties is 
there is a lot of very high income people who choose to rent rather than buy, who have absolutely no, you know, like seven figure income. They have no problem purchasing. If they wanted to, they just choose to rent, mm -hmm. um, which is, it's interesting because you go to Europe and that's pretty common, but here in Canada, it's like, it's rare to see that. Yeah. A lot of people are like, oh, you can't get rich without uh, real estate ownership. It's like, well, if you look at that, you, you can, you can't get like, middle class rich but you you can certainly get uber wealthy without it like as people climb in net worth the concentration of their wealth that is allocated to the primary residence or real estate shrinks and because they focus their their money on business, business. which yields way mm -hmm. which which yields way better like don't get me wrong real estate is exceptionally good investment for people who need especially like primary residence real estate investment is an exceptionally good investment for people who need a savings vehicle who need access to leverage, who need shelter, and who, do, who who wouldn't be able to do more productive things with their capital. You have to be a really bad investor to not outperform a single family home, even after leverage. Like, you have to be like a pretty bad investor. So, you know, over the I long think, term, yeah. Well, yeah, you go back to yeah. like, I think like whatever, if you enter this new era of, of real estate price growth, like I think the mid 80s, it's like 6.11% per year. Yeah. But levered levered so let's yeah. assume what everybody's in a 5x leverage position but you yeah. can lever into stocks too at a 5x oh yeah, can you, you imagine get, that you right get, now let's not get into the debate today oh, God, <laughs> you get fucking hammered right it's definitely now. it's definitely uh you know been exhaustive and, and i'm sure that there's some people out there who, who are capable of renting and doing better than home ownership but majority of people home ownership is the way to go so, uh, so majority of, of north american people of canadians yeah 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 canadians is it Canadians? It's North America. Actually, I don't even think you can get a mortgage the states, in the, Mexico. The, the, the yeah, flux in US. prices in the States is way different. You know, like they're happy to be selling a house for three or $400,000, you know, in retirement, you know, and the bulk of their incomes is through their pensions and investments and stuff like that. Where here in Toronto, at least it's like, you better have a million dollar home paid off. Otherwise you're working until you're 70. Yeah. I don't know that this new legislation, at least for, for splitting up uh, a house into three units now, I mean, maybe at some point it's going to have a, a bigger impact, but I'm just trying, like with prices where they're currently at still, and then the work that you'd have to do to split it up into multiple units and where interest rates are right now, like I just don't see much penciling out unless maybe you've already owned the home or you're about to inherit the home especially well, if you're going to add a garden suite for a few hundred thousand in Toronto right now. Yeah. The garden suites, we won't see a lot of, but I think you'll see a lot of like basement apartments, et cetera. Especially uh, for kids. I'm oh, sorry. No, yeah, it's all good. Go ahead. Especially for kids still living at home, right? Where kids are staying until they're 25, 30, 35 now. So why not build the kid a, a basement suite for him to live with the, the wife and, and grandkids. So I, I think I, we'll see I, a I lot kinda... more of that. I you could have done that disagree. before, though. I kind of disagree. Easily. Like, I feel, I feel like people just build basement apartments and just let people live with them, and they don't really care if they're legal or not. You know, like I feel like that's some there people was... do, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But the, those it, people it, have already done it. But the people who do like to follow the rules, like, yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, like they're they're like, oh yeah, well now I can build a basement apartment, and and, yeah, and like also like I feel like, we like investors are going to be more along those lines, not not the put your kids in the basement. We also opinion. haven't seen meaningful financial stress in this country in, in 25 years. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Realistically, like interest rates have been going down since the last trough of the housing market, which was in 94. Really? Like, I mean, yeah, they bounced around a little bit, but functionally, they've been going down basically since then. So, you I found mean, motivation to. Yeah, I mean, there's financial incentives are going to be what's actually going to create the supply from my perspective. Yeah. So, so, so we have the Han Veer movement. It, it, is did that have an effect? We have the this new legislation that we're not even sure is going to have an effect. Like we've thrown in taxes on top of taxes. And I think, Dan, you did a video about this or somebody. Maybe it was just you talking about it last year. It's like we we keep adding new like wedges into the into the wheel or like, you know, like new knives to plug holes where and and making new holes all over the place in, in just a fucked up completely broken down system right it's like literally a bunch of spaghetti holding this thing together right now yeah and you're dumping more water on the other side of the the dam which is you know f increased Im immigration <laughs> targets right. 
year right. over year. Like I, I actually think, I mean, look, I don't know. I really, I, I can't forecast at all, but if you were to look at history, you know, 89 was the last time that we saw immigration hit 1.8 plus percent of the population. We just saw that in Q2 of this year. 1989 was the last, or yeah, 89 was the last time it was 1.81 percent. Then after that, from it was 90, 91, 92, I think was all net uh, decrease in immigration. So the economy needs to be decent for. So I think it's really going to become an economic question. Like if we if we do repeat what we saw in the in the early nineties, it's we're not going to hit those immigration targets from my perspective. I think people are going to elect to stay home or go home because the Canadian dream is not fulfilling itself. No, if if no Canada's yeah. economy, yeah, and if well, Canada's like, economy sucks comparatively to where they could, you know, it, it, they're like, okay, if I'm going to live in like sort of a lower middle class or second world position, then I might as well do that in you know, the, the place where it makes more financial sense, where I'm around my family or whatever. Like, I don't know. I can't really speak sure. to these situations, you're, you're but that's kind of like the sentiment that you're hearing, right? It's a job promise. Yeah. But what, what, let's just say for argument's sake, immigration cuts in half. Like it doesn't solve anything. Half 220,000 people coming in still breaks the system. Well, everybody's saying, yeah, does it though? I don't know. Uh, like, maybe not. Saying everybody's saying, does. look, yeah. I don't, look, I don't population I, I don't, doesn't do anything, right? Well, I don't like it's just funny because like people who are Super Bowls, you can be like, yeah, oh, immigration is so significant. It's like, okay, well, now we've just released supply, uh, a supply solution that could easily house all of those immigrants. Like, you know, there's millions of homes in, in the province of Ontario. If, if 20% of them add a unit, then all of a sudden you've got houses for all of those, you know, new residents mathematically. Right. So it, but then they're like, Oh no, well that's not going to happen. It's like, okay, well how do we know immigration is going to happen either? We can't really forecast like right. it, when it goes back to like the advisory question that you're saying, it's like, look at the best case, look at the worst case. Like it's just modeling, right? Financial modeling, investment bankers do the same thing. Best case, worst case, base case. If you're, if, if the deal makes sense based on your worst case analysis, then just do it. Like, you know, like, and if you've, if you've looked at it and you're like, okay, I can survive 10% interest rates or a huge recession or whatever it is, then it's a decent deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I put something out the other day. Like if it makes sense in this environment, then, you know, in a little bit of time, it's probably going to make even more sense. That's what's really interesting to me about the people offloading their assignment condos right now, actually, is looking at some of these individuals who bought two or three condos, you know, four, three, four years ago. And going, well, you know, the if if the worst case was that the market did what it did, um, at least in the last two years, um, particularly the last six months, you were gonna take a hit uh like in excess of 20, 30% of your net worth. Right. So what's really interesting to me is like people who had income to support, let's say, a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage bought themselves into $1.5 million worth of condo commitments, right? So like it, it only operated, it only worked in the absolute best case scenario, anything other than best case scenario, and you got slaughtered, right? Yeah. Like how else do you close on those units? Um, unless there's significant equity in them and you can flip two of them and close on the one, right? Instead of closing on, on all three, which is really interesting to me. Um, I don't know if it's just brokers doing a really good job marketing, and talking people into these things, or if it's just, uh, it's been decades of, of like low to no pain. Listen, I've said it on the show before. I mean, I'm a developer and I don't understand why people buy pre-con other than as an investment for later. I mean, the system necessitates it. If that's English, I mean, we need those investors to buy units five, six years before the building's built because not too yeah. many other people are dumb enough or able to even do that, right? It's very hard to like, you know, you start thinking about it maybe when you're going to get married or or you're going to like move out. And by then, like now you got to save $200,000 all of a sudden, right? Like the yeah. whole I think I think is... it's the success of the previous investors. Like I'm just thinking about all the investment strategies when we were doing duplex conversions and buying them for 350,000 and flipping them for 6, 700,000 in Oshawa, you know, no one was doing it at the time. Now all of a sudden, you know, you, you can't find those properties anymore that it doesn't make sense. Uh, flipping condos, people were buying pre-cons at great prices and flipping them, assigning them or closing on them with a 
300% return or, or whatever it was on their money. And everyone said, oh, well, that's a great investment. So then developers smartened up and said, why are you guys making all the money? Now I think garden suites and laneway suites. I don't think it is that. I don't think developers smartened up at all. No. Right? Because pre-con used to be a 5% premium to resale. Now it's a 20% premium, but the margins have gotten tighter, not bigger. For who? The developer? The developer. Mm. Their IRR might be like a little bit higher, but like that's just because of low debt over the pot. But like in terms of the gross margin, mm-hmm. like cost to build ver- and co- uh, like and and saleable yeah, listen, cost, you, I think yeah. that's gotten so it tighter. Wasn't, it wasn't that you're not built, making more money. Yeah, yeah it wasn't built smartening it, yeah. up. It was, it was just out of necessity is what you're saying. You got caught. You got caught. You had to go. You had to like push the project yeah, through like, in I'm the last couple of years, right? Like yeah. I'm absolutely fascinated by the fact that developers are still launching commodity project today. Like in yeah, this market, I can't believe that's what I was saying the other day on a, on some woes space is like if you're a developer and you're launching now, either you're so super well capitalized that it just doesn't matter, mm-hmm. which there's a there's a few guys like that for sure. Like Madame just launched something in Mississauga, well, yeah. right? So, I mean, that can't be because they have to push the project through because they're Madame. I know. And and with really <laughs> or, juicy like really juicy deposit structures and incentives. So like they'll actually move. Um, not, it's not going to oversubscribe like it would have six months ago, but they'll, no. they'll, they'll sell 40, 50, but, 60% for sure. But then you see some guy you never heard of before launch a, a site that you, you didn't really know about. And it's like, uh Oh, like that guy better sell out or that thing's coming back on the market, like the yeah. land. Right. And <laughs> there's going to be some pissed off people that had deposits on that site. Yeah, but most of those guys would have bought the projects long enough ago where they probably were never forecasting the prices that they got 12 months ago. That was Maybe. like, whoa, this is interesting. But cost of construction might balance that out. Because I I think I think Opus just released something and it was like much lower than what they had just sold it for a year ago. But I guess, I mean, that's they've looked at their situation and said, well, we're going we're gonna to have to move these units no matter what, right? Yeah. And these are the prices that the market's saying right now, so... And the numbers pencil a lot better too as soon as you're out of the 416, right? Like I was talking to a legacy developer, like family developer uh, a couple of weeks ago and they're pivoting. Um, They're doing Barry and Hamilton and stuff now. They don't want to, they've built exclusively in the 416 for like 50 years and they're done. They're moving to Barry. There's a lot of people in Markham that said that they were downtown Toronto developers and that they wouldn't ever go anywhere else. And then all of a sudden they're building up Markham and they're building up Scarborough and if you look at some of the land registry in Scarborough, like there's some monster players that have had some big pieces of land on that golden mile for a while. Right. Like, mm-hmm. but, but so, so, so let's just back up again to the basements, for example, like now you can do the basement, but is there incentive to do the basement? Right. I, I think that's the thing that they missed with, with part of this plan, but I think they actually, which we haven't even talked about, Purpose-built rental, like purpose-built rent. Did I say that right? Purpose-built rental buildings are, I think, actually being incentivized in this plan. It, it seems like inclusionary zoning won't have uh, uh, um, uh, development charges and purpose-built rental development charges are going to go down considerably. Um, like, do we think, uh, have, did anybody else see that? I think big. that. I think that if you, I mean, regardless of what happens in the policy side, as the economics make less and less sense to push, I mean, look, the reality is like condo buildings in a lot of cases are purpose-built rental. They're just vehicles for mom and pop to aggregate a bunch of purpose-built rentals into one tower and and socialize the cost of, of renting in a lot of cases because you have a bunch of owners who are losing money. I think that, you know, Jordan talking about developers, like their their margins aren't exceptionally good even selling 20% over Um, as construction costs come down as rental rates climb and as owners, like as, as rates continue to climb, the incentive for owners to rent becomes higher. The cost of ownership every month, sunk cost of ownership every month, every time the interest rate goes up, sunk cost of ownership goes up incentive to rent increases. This is just like, we're literally just 50 or hundred years ahead of most European countries that have, yeah, high ownership like we're just we're earlier in our in our cycle we're heading for late stage capitalism high institutional ownership high investment ownership high rental high rental rates especially among young people and especially in urban areas like this is just where this goes there's no way that this it doesn't you're seeing it happen in the states right now period even even in the single family detached space yeah like it's just and i like there's no really 
then you will and so own what, nothing and you will be happy. It's yeah, happening I mean, I, though, I, which is fine. I mean, who I think that you? that makes sense for the majority of the population, to be honest with you. Like most people shouldn't be managers of their own homestead. Like, you know, like there's like this, this world right now, like, and, and it's, you know, I think it was Adam Smith specialization of, and division of labor, right? Smithian economics. People, you know, as we get more into white collar knowledge work, whatever it is, like I know guys who one of my buddies is an electrician. He pay. He said his most common call is that the fixture isn't working in Toronto, and he goes and changes a light bulb and makes three hundred and fifty bucks. Not joking, <laughs> right? So a lot of people can't really be tasked with the ability to he own, sells to that own too, a right? home. He sells oh, that labor. Yeah. Well, I mean, he well, he pay. Yeah, he, he gets paid yeah. to show up, right? Diagnosis, yeah. and then oh yeah, it was just a down light that bulb. Don't call me times. next time. Yeah. Well, no, he'll tell them at the end, like, hey, man, I feel bad charging you for this, but I did. I do have a minimum to show up. You know, that's, the bulb was out. Maybe wait till the, his wife's left the room to to tell him. But, you know, the bulb was out, you know, just change that next time. <laughs> Here's how you do it. But anyway, I mean, I'm just saying, like, the average person isn't necessarily cut out for homeownership. And then we're gradually, learn at least in our generation, we're gradually yeah. learning that, I think. At one of our first episodes ever, me and TK, we we talked about the Manhattanization of Toronto, and that's just it. It's just a transfer in percentages between ownership and rental, right? I mean, it 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 has to happen by necessity. But the real problem, I think, right now is that be I can't I I can't maybe I'm just a perma bull or whatever, but like I can't see population not pushing up rental or pricing in for ownership like simultaneously or one or the other like somebody is always going to be fucked in this supply situation at least well, i think like, I, and i think it's actually getting worse where right? everything's getting shelved nobody's getting right like, and, and, like, and, try and there's a lead time out. right so yeah so you so you say okay cool now you can build basement apartments cool a bunch of neighbors gonna be having fights with each other like how to piss off your neighbor in the kingsway 101 <laughs> um but uh but uh like and and that's good and i think that's a really good step that we're taking but there's a lead time between that policy enacting and actually seeing any meaningful increase in supply at the mean and same thing with condos right like if you need supply five years from now you got to start it today and uh no it's just interesting it seeing don't make sense today yeah supply side's getting worse your costs if you buy today even with 30 percent off peak prices you're still paying more on a monthly basis to own it if you rent today you're renting for more there's just like there's no there's no escaping what like higher cost of ownership right and when people tell me like oh you know pre-construction or just condo investing in general in Toronto doesn't make sense because it no longer cash flows with 20% down and it hasn't for 3 or 4 years um so these people aren't investors they're speculators i'm like okay so that's the same thing that happened in hong kong it's the same thing that happened in new york and you're right it it doesn't make sense for a lot of people to invest in negative 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 yielding assets but that's exactly why you're going to see homeownership rate decrease over time and renting pool increase. Like it's it's just a natural progression of a major metro, is it not? I think so. It has to. Yeah. There's no other way. So, yeah. We're not making more income. We're not getting more money. Well, some people are though. That's part of it, right? Minimum wage is going up. And I mean, anybody on this panel not do better in the last 12 months than even the previous 12 months? I didn't. Yeah, maybe not the right industry to talk to. Maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but listen, some people, even when we talked to Frank Leo, he said he's busier than all hell right now, right? Yeah, but that's a realtor's default line. I do think, yeah, but I do think like one guy on my team. Busy, busy. Yeah, so one guy on my team like had a monster year, like his best year of all time in real estate, like doubled his numbers from last year. Some people perform really well in this type of market, particularly in, in my experience, like the educational agents who like really go out of their way to advise their clients tend to do maybe not better than in a bull market, but certainly perform at a high level versus their other, you know, their competing realtors, we'll call it, um, because it's not as easy as just throwing a signpost in the yard, right, right now. Yeah. Um, so, so he'll take home like more than he ever has. Um, and I'm stoked to see that for him, but the vast majority of, of people on my team were just other colleagues in the pre-construction space. Yeah. They're not doing the same numbers this year as they did last and rightfully so, you know, a lot of, a lot of burnout in the industry, actually, a lot of, a lot of agents I've been talking to are like, you know what, like after the market changed or like I started, you know, I painted the fence at the cottage and then I was, you know, working on my boat and then I, you know, started to, you know, sell things online that I bought from Facebook marketplace, like weird things like that. I think a lot of people are 
stressed out, so they're taking like a leave of absence. From... They're doing Maybe they made too crafts. much money. Yeah, maybe they made too much money last year. Learning so. how to change light bulbs. They're right for three fifty. Don't go too far. Don't go too far. For three fifty a pop, that's a good gig. Yeah, great gig. So I mean, uh, my my personally, my best year was twenty seventeen, and it's because I'm, I'm a bear gang uh, member. Dark region. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we we got decimated, and people started flocking to me because they were in fear. And uh, I mean, that was kind of the start of this whole thing for me, to be honest with you. And uh, I, I would, it looks like this year will be the same and maybe we'll have a bear market again next year, but I will tell you something. I will be bullish one day when I feel the bottom it is in. So pay attention. Yeah, it's going to well, be a while. But that's what I said, like uh, over I the last few it. weeks is there's, there's, <laughs> there's some bears out there that uh, are very bullish right now. Like guys I've known for a long time that like I've said it a few times. They freaked me out like every time I talked to them, scared me for years. But now I have a lot like... of clients. I like I have a lot of clients like that who haven't yeah. bought with me but have been back and forth with me for four or five years. And, and just they're... like, ah, price is too high on these pre-cons, right? Right. And a lot of them are coming back to me now, telling me, like, keep me on your list every time you have a distressed seller. Every time somebody's panicking, send it to me. If it makes sense, I'll buy it. And they've but shared things are circling. Yeah. yeah but Jeez. I think the majority oh, yeah. of them and what I'm seeing so far is like. Like right now, I'm seeing condos assign, assignment condos sell for the same price as purchased like two or three years ago. They're not quite biting yet. So the, I would say by and large, those individuals are still waiting for more blood. Right. Yeah. And I, I like I've been saying for a while, like I feel like there's just a bunch of people waiting on the sideline for somebody. Maybe it's Dan Foch to wave that flag and go, 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 go. It's <laughs> I'm a bull now. It's time to go. I'm 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 joking, but I'm serious. Like, don't you feel like there's so many people calling you going, like, is it time? Is it time? Like there's a lot of cash. Cash. Yeah. I think I it was cash. I, yeah. I think it was Dan who said it's easier to catch deals on the way down than the way up, right? For sure. Yeah. Like, and I think there's some truth to that because I 100%. remember that's a good line. I like that. Yeah. And I, I was yeah. I everybody was like, don't catch a falling knife. And I was like, you know what? But if you can catch a falling knife, it's fucking impressive, man. Well, yeah, worst right. case, you get a little cut and it lands on the floor anyway. You just pick it up, right? You pick it up and then hopefully, you know, you weren't mm -hmm. too far from the bottom. Well, like the reality is every time that the market goes down, there's less risk below you. Like you're closer to the bottom yeah. and, and further from the top. Every time the market goes up, you're closer to the top and further from the bottom. So as the market declines, the downside risk gets washed away. And the reality is I don't give a shit if I'm buying something that I, I buy for yield. So it's different, but, um, it, you know, if I bought, if I save 10 grand and the market bottoms in two years and I lose that 10 grand on the purchase price, as an example, because I am buying properties that are cheap enough that, you know, 10% is or 20% is like, you know, uh, just a couple of, a uh, couple of thousand dollars or 10, 10, 20 grand, but um, I'll make that money back in income in the, in the next two years. So for me, it's like, I don't really, I don't really care that much. It, it, you know, to me, if I find a good deal and I'm comfortable and I, I'm happy buying it, on the assumption that like I, I, I closed on a couple of properties last week. I, I bought a property last summer and I was making, I was buying those, making the assumption that the market was going to drop another 10, 15% on the value that I paid for those properties. So if that's my worst case scenario and I still like the deal, then it's a good deal. That's a great deal. Then, yeah. for Especially sure. in the lower yeah. markets, they're less impacted by these rate hikes too. Totally. Totally. So, so I want to touch on one last thing before everybody has to go. Um, Mark did a video on it and we spoke about it. Uh, I think maybe Dan brought it up or may maybe it was Jordan. So, so flight of cash from China. Uh, Mark did a video on it a few, couple of weeks ago. I think it was, uh, we talked about it last year where, you know, TK started off the show saying maybe we saw that back in last October through February um, that, you know, the, the, the Chinese cash coming into the Commonwealth and pushing up prices. But do you feel like maybe there might be another round of it coming? I mean, they must be wanting to get their money out like crazy. What do you think, Mark? I just uh, read an article actually yesterday that said that there's a lot of students in Vancouver and there's a lot of money just waiting to jump in um, as soon as they can get it out into the, into the real estate market. And that the, the foreign buyers ban isn't going to really stop them because it's all Chinese that want to live here. They want to get out anyway. And it's students that are living here as well. So, yeah, I think that there's still a lot of money trying to get out. 
Yeah, and then I think Jordan was talking about that most of them are technically or they are PR here anyways. Yeah. Or family. Or family. All, all you need is one family member with PR, man. Yeah. Um, but I like we get maybe, I don't know. I don't know what exactly what the volume is. Maybe three or four percent of our site traffic is Hong Kong and China. Um it hasn't changed. It's roughly the same. So uh and, and where we get a lot, like I get a lot of WhatsApp messages from them too. Um I don't think there's been a change in volume, but it's been consistent. So consistent. Nothing's changed. I, I was trying to look up something for Evergon and Jordan's site was like near the top. It had nothing to do with Evergon, but it was, it was on it was like right at the top of Google. I was just like, what the heck is going on? This guy's my dead. guys are doing their job, man. <laughs> yeah. We're ranking for keywords we're not even targeting. I love to yeah. see it. Yeah. That's crazy. Why would that why would that come up? That's I don't know. I was typing something, right? And I had to re- I was trying to relate it to Toronto. I can't remember what I was searching. But it was something to do with the market that was that I was researching for uh, today's show. And then it was like the like the first like the the sites that were above you were all like big players. And then it was like you were like the first one. So yeah, the, the Google is. Uh, I don't want to get too nerdy on the show, but Google's topical <laughs> relevancy has gotten incredibly impressive. So like, if I do a video with you guys about about Evergrande, and then it relate it understands that that personality is associated. Like it's it the, the relevancy Google can derive is really high these days. And well, and speaking of that, so now uh, I, I just want to do one last little uh, thing here. I want to talk about uh, social media. I mean, we do have two out of the six Power Rangers on the show right now. Uh, uh, no, well, I, I just want to talk about, I mean, Elon Musk just closed on Twitter. It already, I don't know if it feels different already or if it's just my perspective on I'm actually, on there. I'm actually so excited about that because I think um, like e- Elon is is going to go in there and figure out how to make their their ad platform actually work for once. And like my entire business is based on online ads. It always has been. So the idea that maybe we'll have some targeting and some actual good systems to run ads on Twitter, because like nobody I know in the digital space bothers running ads on, on Twitter because you just can't eke out any profit. It's just garbage. You, yeah. And that's can't also target anything. You can't. And so it, like, it's brutally bad. And if it, if it was even half as robust as meta, it would, it would literally shit out money for the advertisers and for Twitter as a whole. So like a lot of people are talking about Elon buying a sinking ship or whatever, right? It's like not a profitable business. It's like, it's not profitable because they've never focused on, they've only focused on censoring discourse. They've never focused on advertising. And if they did, they'd probably do much better. Yeah. I don't know if I'm excited or scared for the new Twitter. Cause it'll definitely get a little more interesting, I think, uh, and nutty, uh, before it gets better, like, the, and I think that, the, like, if you actually read the comments when people were saying, "Hey, Elon closed on on Twitter," a lot of people were like, "Fuck this guy! He shouldn't be in charge of like the 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 town square and billionaire this and billionaire that." And he's, you know, he's a fucking idiot because he wants to go to Mars and all this kind of stuff. So I think there will be an attack. Uh, from all directions to really screw Twitter up right now. And there's going to be, I mean, it's getting vicious on there already. And that's really what I wanted to touch on is like, isn't it? It's a, it's, it's a scary place. This Twitter now, isn't it? I I know you guys are smarter than I am on there, but like you, you, you won't accept uh, messages. Now you won't accept tags on your, on, on, on tweets. And I mean, you must get so many messages, Dan, that your head spins on that thing. And so many mentions, it's crazy. And like one day somebody loves you. And one day somebody's calling you a racist bigot and misogynist (laughs) and like making stuff up and like one day you're the darling of of twitter and the next day you know you're a scumbag it's like it's a dangerous place now yeah i don't know i mean i I would just quote dave Chappelle on that one um you know some people dragged me on twitter and i didn't give a fuck because twitter's not a real place yeah (laughs) right that's true it's kind of like um uh yeah i mean youtube can be like that too if YouTube oh, comment yeah. sections can get pretty, pretty fucking oh, vicious. buddy, TikTok, don't even get me. You, yeah, you want to find the t- give teenagers <laughs> anonymous accounts. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> hey, yeah, TikTok's uh, probably the armpit of social media comments. I guess. Look, I mean, people yeah, yeah. who got people who have things to worry about if you've done things wrong in your life and, and like there's, yeah, I mean, yeah, like I, I think you got to worry if you've, if you could live with all of the skeletons in your closet and, and are trying your best out there to, to be a good person. I, I, yeah. I think that most people aren't really 
going to take a lot of this bullshit seriously. Like, I think you give these people power by, by taking stuff seriously. Yeah. By replying um, to the comments and battling with them only gives them power. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, yeah I, mean... I know. I can't <laughs> stop though. Like, they're so mean. And it's such bullshit. Like they make accusations that are false. And then you kind of feel like, oh no, like the key is not to defend yourself against bullshit. Oh my God. Yeah, I just like agree. Yeah, yeah or, just... agree or block. Like, I don't know. I mean, but you a... know what? I figure now, like, I've been called everything. Like, there's nothing anybody can say anymore. Yeah, look, dude. I mean, like, the the, the reality is here is like none of us are important enough to get canceled. Like, I, I mean, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it, so the... it is what it is, right? Yeah. Like, it's, what's somebody gonna do? Write my like employer? I don't have one. Like, gonna write right. all my clients. Yeah, yeah. Have fun. My clients like they know my character. Like, I don't really yeah. care. Right. Yeah. They yeah. You, they want to spend their time like going through all my comments and making fun of me. Like I've yeah. had some seriously messed up DMs from people, man. Seriously messed oh, up accusations. I... But like I don't really care. I'm like, but oh, cool. That's that's kind of like sounds shitty. Sorry to make you feel that way. I hope you have a wonderful uh, life. I put yeah. I put something up today. I was like, <laughs> there's a whole other Twitter in the DMs. Like there's a oh, yeah. whole other thing going on in the background than yeah. even in the foreground. I don't yeah, get I mean, it, man. I don't get DMs. I must be the lucky. You blocked one. it. You blocked it. You can't. Oh, did I? Is yeah. that why? Hey, yo, buddy, open those up. <laughs> open those <laughs> up and <laughs> like, yeah. what watch what happens. <laughs> no, but I mean, the reality is, like, look, I, I, I made it pretty clear for my. I think that the, you have to go into social media with a with a clear vision on what your objective is there, and anything that that inter interrupts that, um, stop. Like, just don't don't engage with it. Like, so yeah. for me, my, you know, I want to advance the real estate industry, and 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 be and you know be honest about that, and. uh I'm not there for drama. So people try and rope me in for drama and that then they're very quick. They're like, Oh, why aren't you like providing an opinion on this? Like, Oh, like, so they, you know, like bullying this, bullying that. I'm like, that's not why I'm here. Like, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a, a elementary school teacher telling kids not to fight. Like, seriously, like I'm not, yeah. you know, like I'm here for a clear objective. Yeah. That sucks. Sure. But like you can disengage with it just as quickly as I can. So we'll, anyway, we'll, we'll I mean, end, we'll end with a quote that I always, uh, you know, think about when it comes to social media. The opposite of conformity is courage. And that's how I live my social media life. Yes. Thanks, guys. Um, well done. We're at the end. Uh, we appreciate you all. You guys all have wonderful channels. We're going to put the links up. So if any of our listeners haven't visited your channels, they're way better than ours. You're missing out. And uh, follow them all on social media as well. And we look forward to the next one, guys. Thank Thanks you so much. much. Thanks, guys. Thank you.